So Ellie, why don't you introduce yourself? I really love when guests say what they do and why it's important to them. Okay, I'm Ellie Andrulaki. I'm a scientist working at IBM Research, focusing on privacy, security, especially in the context of blockchain systems. So I'm very much inspired by bringing new technologies to real systems, impacting how our enterprise work, how individuals get control over their data, uh, excited to have a chance to impact this aspect of our life. Ellie Andrulaki is a distinguished IBM researcher based in Switzerland, and she's one of the brilliant minds behind a new digital health pass. Yet as more people each day receive COVID-19 vaccines, society must tackle a big problem before things return to pre-pandemic normal. How to verify who has been vaccinated. In the United States, vaccine tracking is done at the state, not federal level. Though the CDC offers a vaccination record card for patients, it does not keep a record of who's been vaccinated. Enter the Digital Vaccine Certificate, or Vaccine Passport. It's been a year since the show has been covering women on the front lines fighting the coronavirus and COVID-19. And on today's episode, we're asking, how would this new technology work? How would we use it? And how can we imagine a new world in which we safely reenter society? You know, go back shoulder to shoulder seating and spring droplets left and right. But seriously, in terms of Ellie's work, she collaborated with a group of IBM colleagues to imagine what a digital health pass could look like long before the vaccine was on any of our minds. Ellie, you grew up in Athens, Greece. You did your PhD at Columbia University in New York. You moved to Switzerland to do your postdoctoral studies, and you stayed in Switzerland and joined IBM Research. You're a scientist and you're a mom. I think that your technical title might be a distinguished staff member and manager focused on security and applications for blockchain at IBM yeah. Research Europe. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, Couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> you know, and in the spirit of March being Women's Month, but on this podcast, every month is Women's Month, um, but also March is International Women's Day and you know, I'm thinking about the work that you do. You've really spent the last year innovating how the COVID-19 vaccine is safely distributed by using blockchain. And, you know, I'd love to talk to you about your work in blockchain and Bitcoin, your background, your approach to science. But let's start with last year. How did you come to work on the IBM Digital Health Pass? So when COVID started, and there were a series of brainstorming sessions that, that um, we triggered internally. What is it that we can do um, using our skills, using our knowledge around blockchain, security, privacy, to uh, better facilitate the return of the, our communities and, and the world to normal? or new normal. So as part of this brainstorming session and also having uh, onto the table technologies that we anyway wanted to work on, um, enhance our blockchain systems with the capability to introduce some certification capability for different types of things being uh, a driving license or even 
digital identities for people. And the idea of having a blockchain-based system uh, acting as a source of trust for a COVID test that you, what an individual has performed and the, and, the, and the result of that test was brought into the table. Uh, very quickly, my team uh, put together a prototype of this technology, allowing entities, individuals that have been uh, certified uh, by authorized parties, uh, that they've been tested positive or negative for COVID, uh, to be able to show it, that certificate to uh, third parties, um, what we call verifiers in our system, it can be like uh, airport control, uh, entrance uh, at them, elderly houses, or even movie theaters. So it can be really uh, anyone. New York State recently announced that it started a pilot program based on IBM's Digital Health Pass. It's an app that would allow New York residents to voluntarily store and share their COVID-19 vaccination certification or COVID-19 test result. Imagine how you go through the airport or get onto your flight, scanning a boarding pass from your phone. It's similar that way where the digital health pass is a secure way to store and share your COVID status. And as the world begins to open up airports, stadiums, concerts, (laughs) I can barely remember those, but potentially everywhere you go could ask for proof that you're either COVID negative or have been vaccinated. The system can be leveraged either to provide certification that you did some COVID test and the result of the test, the provider who did the test to you, or accommodating vaccination certification needs, type of vaccine that you use, using blockchain at the back end. If there's one thing that people take away from this interview about blockchain, what would it be? Blockchain is um, the next generation enterprise systems. And that's how I would like to call it. High degrees of transparency, high degrees of resilience to single points of failure. And this derived from the distribution of trust. Okay, so the digital health pass relies on blockchain to keep your information both secure and verifiable. So here's a quick one-on-one on blockchain. And take this with a grain of salt. This is the Rose Reed version. So each block, so to speak, in the chain refers to a piece of data or a transaction. And these blocks are digital, encrypted, and ultra-verified. And when they're strung together, it's like they create this ledger that can be read by anyone. And for the most part, it's universally trusted, like the ultimate notary. And the reason people are so gaga for it is that when you use this kind of technology, you can easily follow the history of a product or digital information or currency that is really, really hard to forge or falsify. You couldn't, for example, backdate this invoice or try to say, I didn't receive the package. It must still be in shipping. You can't even try that. And although blockchain is this kind of ledger that anyone can see where something went and when, these blocks are also encrypted. So the information that they're storing is private. And you can really see how privacy is really essential for something like your health information on your phone that you show and is scanned by, let's say, a baseball game or um, you know a concert venue. So blockchain is important for both the verification of your data and the protection of your data. So this is really paramount to Ellie, and for her, the combination of privacy, security, and reliability has been and remains her North Star. 
So I very much believe in blockchain being a revolutionary technology okay. uh, for our enterprises. As we move to a world where more operations of ours, everyday activities move to the online world, uh, privacy becomes more and more of an issue. While at the same time, our data that we put on the online world is even more difficult to capture and control. One thing that I've been thinking about is that with both verification and the refrigeration of the vaccine, that following its every step is really important. And this may be a really crude way, an American way to, to think of blockchain, but I think of it like a DMV report that shows your car title transfer from person to person. And of course, with, with blockchain, you can follow the transfer of a product with complete certainty. Is that a way that one or a layman could describe blockchain? Well, yes, uh, that's, uh, that's one example where blockchain uh, could be of use. So you, you mentioned the, the example of, um, of an asset exchange. Uh, I have a car, I give it yeah. to you, then you give it to someone else. I guess it depends um, what kind but, of car that makes it an asset. Of course, I'm thinking of my 1989 Toyota. So some people don't consider it an asset, but I it was very much a valuable asset in my life. But yes. <laughs> yes, of course. So there are a couple of ways to go. You can assume that there is one party that everyone trusts to keep a record of um, who has uh, issued the transfer of ownership of the car to who and who is currently uh, owning the car. But another way to solve the same problem and provide a credible record of who is owning the car at any point in time is a system that not only one party runs, but a set of parties. Right. So we That's all agree this is like a trusted source. It's exactly. kind of amazing because it's like in sports, you can never agree on a referee's call. But with blockchain, it's like everybody everybody agrees that the ref is right. So with blockchain, <laughs> all parties agree that it's... 100% accurate, no matter your feelings or how you change in a situation that like, okay, this, we all agree that this is correct. Yeah, exactly. So it's not that, um, that you need to trust one single party of making the right call. So if that uh, party, the single party goes out of business, um, you still can do your transaction as you wanted to, because the rest are still uh, available. If that system gets compromised, then you still rely on the rest of the uh, participants of the system to do their job diligently and serve you uh, as the system should serve you. Do you think that your approach to blockchain, you're also constantly having to think about how people understand and verify trust? Uh, it is definitely a matter of, of trust. Uh, but even if you trust one provider, if you have that one provider, you need to fully trust it not to forge information in the meantime, not to get compromised and to always tell you the truth about shipments of goods from one party to the other in order to get provenance of the full uh, chain back. If you have a blockchain system, then you would... In, you can in, you can think of the manufacturer as as well as uh, big players of the supply chain itself, as well as big stakeholders on the consumer side, pharmacies or health 
um, health ministries being a part of that system and therefore um, having a say of whether the transaction was valid or not, but more importantly, having a say of whether a particular vaccine um, was routed through a legal path or not to the end uh, consumer. I think it's such an inter interesting intersection because in the last year we've seen so much distrust and confusion around information uh, related to the coronavirus and COVID-19. And so using blockchain, using an accredited system like IBM, I can just imagine that this is an interesting innovation in our, I guess, new phase of the pandemic where we can refer to a trusted institution or a trusted process to demystify a confusing thing. Well, um, by confusing thing, you mean, you mean blockchain as a complex mm, technology? I guess I don't mean confusing. I think I think that there's been so much confusion around uncertainty about definitive information about COVID-19 and the coronavirus. And now that we're in this new phase where the vaccine is being distributed, it's really interesting to me how accountability and trust provided with blockchain can be used to maybe assure people who have been uncertain for the last year. Mm -hmm. about yes, what, who to trust. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's uh, one aspect is the trust. Um, so who do you trust to, um, uh, to, 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 to get your certification from or to get your vaccination, therefore the, the certification from and, and, and get access to your data. And the other aspect is um, the fact that um, especially vaccination uh, certificates and COVID tests and all COVID-related health certification tend to be uh, important to be interoperable with other systems um, mm. in the world. Because in the end, you will need to travel, um, either be, be it either from one uh, state to the other, in in us or from one country to the other and it, these certificates uh, that you've issued in one country should be processable by other systems in other countries also how do you collect the information of who is an authorized um, entity to give you that level of certification in different countries this is also where the distribution of trust but also load comes to the picture you want to put all these entities accountable of having incorporated into the system rightful entities to provide certification and not random entities that have nothing to do with vaccines or tests. And you had said that your mentor really impacted your interest in controlling your data. Mm -hmm. Can you give me an example of something that made a really big impression on you? Well, in general, when I went, when I started my PhD, uh, program, I didn't have any strong connection to security work. So I had just graduated from my electrical and computer engineering school in Greece. I mean, everyone knows that security is important, but um, didn't know 
the technicalities behind it. So getting there very much hands-on environment. At Columbia? Like the, at Columbia, yeah. Getting guidance from Steve. Steve Bellafin? Yeah, Bellafin. Uh, he's a professor at the Network Security Lab, an expert in security and privacy on the system side of things. Um, has been very valuable from that perspective um, because I learned how that how one can really sneak into systems, get private in, information in a non-authorized way. I'm just having like an image of like Edward Snowden realizing that like phone calls are being recorded. What was your Edward Snowden moment? Well, we also heard recent, not recently, I think it was like a, a year or more ago, that there was this compromise of Twitter. People were able to log into popular people's uh, profiles and make statements. So in this case, it was not about the privacy of the information uh, that was leaked, but rather the security of the messages and the authentication of the messages that were coming out of Twitter. Imagine a, a popular person's profile getting compromised. You get all the people that follow this person get that falsified information right. and acting on it. It would be a Some big people... plot point of like a bad action movie. <laughs> you yeah. know, would be, that would be like X-Men 14. Like the president's Twitter account was hacked and now the whole world is at war. I actually yeah, think exactly. that was the Wonder Woman 1984 movie premise that just came out. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched that yet, but uh, I think it's missable, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in, in a similar way, a system that uh, maintains um, credit, uh, uh, like a purchase records of individuals right. um, can, can be compromised and then information about that individual leaking. Um, and or healthcare information about individuals. Yeah, that's a really good point. And especially as almost, I mean, I was going to give a percentage, but so many people are working from home and so many people are moving to remote working. I can imagine that vulnerability and security are really big issues right now. Right. I guess this uh, vulnerability is being discovered at this point in time and not at an earlier point in time can be related to the fact that there were more more attention drawn by video conferencing tools now compared to the past. <laughs> You've been a little prolific, you know, writing articles and making patents. Um, what is one of the projects that you can give as an example that you feel was a turning point either in your career or in how you are approaching your work? I think when I switched from being a member of a project to getting more responsibilities into leading the security architecture of the open source a blockchain project at IBM. There I found myself um, needing to sort of um, develop a lot of skills that I thought I didn't have at the time. How do I organize the work? How do I distribute work to, to others? How do I work with other people? But now we had very severe deadlines to meet also other companies to compete with. So there wasn't any time to lose. 
there weren't any people at the time that understood blockchain to help move forward. So it was uh, quite a bit of stressful, but also exciting time for me. I read in an interview that you gave that when you started at Columbia, it was your experience was seeing like maybe 20% women in your class. And by the time you got to your postdoc, it was like 3% women. Am I getting that right? My PhD. And then, yeah, also extended to the postdoc. There were <laughs> big changes in the percentages of, uh, of women. What was your experience like going into school and then continuing your studies? Yeah, so as, as I mentioned, thought it was a very balanced um, uh, environment, pre-doctoral studies. The change uh, to my uh, PhD studies were were quite uh, interesting, <laughs> uh, not only because, of course, I was um, a transition to a school that has much fewer female colleagues, but also because I moved to a different continent. So that, I think, contributed a little bit to that. But I, I very characteristically remember a couple of uh, days after I had joined the, the new lab, I think I was the only female student on my floor, except uh, there was also a professor a uh, female professor on the same floor, but I was the only one <laughs> from a student. And I had made a mistake. I don't remember. I was trying to turn on the uh, the, the screen of my, la- of my computer, but it wasn't plugged into power. So I, 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 people around me were laughing when I realized this was the case. Oh, uh, no. And it's really something that could happen to anyone. <laughs> after five or ten minutes it was the IT head of the lab that came upstairs uh, to my office and said ha 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 I heard about uh, (laughs) what you did oh my gosh worse than a sewing circle (laughs) of course yeah it has its merits and it has every every little uh, mistake that uh, I would do it was just uh, (laughs) be spread uh, to to everyone but at the same time um, I didn't care that much at the time. I was uh, <laughs> very much occupied by other things like delivering my coursework and uh, and um, and as, as settle, settling in into this new uh, environment. Uh, that these little things I would just laugh uh, about. I wouldn't really uh, let them <laughs> trouble me that much. And I think looking backwards, I think I did uh, the right. Uh, the, the right uh, choice you know focus on on what needs to be done not really paying attention on the side and have you gotten the vaccine not yet i'm very young <laughs> not that old i know i didn't know since you had the <laughs> password in the transaction if you were found your way to get the vaccine early <laughs> that would be an interesting idea <laughs> But no, uh, my father has though. Uh, my mother not yet. Uh, we are we are still waiting, I guess, to get on the line. But I do plan to get vaccinated. <laughs> on the women at the end of every episode, we like to do a round of quickfire questions, and I call it truth or truth. Going light after we go deep. Uh, how many kids do you have and how old are they? I'm just one daughter uh, who's two years old and um, 
uh, for now she keeps me well occupied at <laughs> the time that I don't work uh, in a very pleasant way. And your dad was an engineer. Is that one of the things that inspired you to pursue math and science? Yes, absolutely. I was always uh, inclined to, like I always liked maths um, and I always enjoyed spending time with my father trying to solve some interesting homework. I very happily spent time solving mathematical problems. And then at the same time, in, um, when I was about to choose a career path, I had to consider what can I do that is related to math, but at the same time has a good professional opportunities after that. And this is where the uh, electrical and computer engineering uh, school was brought into my picture. Or were you trying to one-up your dad and do something that maybe he couldn't understand? <laughs> not really. <laughs> there weren't that many things that he could not understand in the <laughs> mathematics world. He was really good. <laughs> he still is, I guess, but he's a bit older. What does he think of your work now? I don't think he understands um, uh, all the things. I think he understands the basic concepts because uh, I try to explain it to him in, in, uh, in, in high level. Uh, but as, as, as any father, I think he's very proud of uh, his <laughs> daughter <laughs> and his, his son as well. <laughs> I have a brother as well. He's very happy, I think, that I chose um, a technical path. He's happy that I'm satisfied with what I do. And do you go back to Greece often? Yes, almost every every three months <laughs> we go back home to see our parents. And we have also flexibility, both me and my husband working from home. Uh, and we also need extra help uh, with my daughter. So we do go back home frequently. And do you go to Athens or do you go to other parts of Greece? Athens, Crete. And, uh, and Tagrinio, which is another uh, big uh, city at the west, uh, on the west side of the country. What's one thing that people should know about Greece if they've never been? Uh, great weather, uh, fantastic food, and very hospitable people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like when I went, I, I made so many friends just, you know, getting a coffee and, and people were so generous. I would, I, the, where I stayed in this little room that had a single bed and like a bathroom and you kind of like shower with a thing over your head you have to like hold it. You kind of have to sit on the toilet and like shower yourself. But the cove that I was in every morning, the ladies who came from Athens every summer would go swimming with their flippers and sun hats. And I would come outside and they would say, Yazu, Rosa. And they would <laughs> ask me to come swim with them. It was like the highlight of my year. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can picture. <laughs> I can picture that. <laughs> Ellie, it's been such a pleasure to learn from you and to learn about your, your journey. Same here. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me here. It's a pleasure talking to you. You can find out more about the IBM Digital Health Pass or Ellie's work when you go to ibm.com. 
Tune back in two weeks for our next episode. And for the rest of 2021, we'll be publishing every other Thursday on The Women. And after the recent tragedies in my home state of Georgia and in Colorado, we hope to do an episode covering the rise of gun violence, domestic terrorism, and white supremacy. So stay tuned for future episodes on The Women. Special thanks to Chase Purdy for this episode, and thanks to Adrienne Lilly, who mixed this episode. This is a Rose Reed production.